Well, good evening. It's good to have a good crowd we have this evening. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 22 in just a moment. We've had a good day today, and we've had some good preaching, and now you got me, but that's okay. We're glad you could be with us this evening. I understand IU's got a basketball game coming on here at 6 o'clock, and I've always wanted to preach till midnight. So I thought this would be a great time to try. No, I will not do that. Guarantee you. Guarantee I won't do that. But glad to have you to be with us. You know, if you were to take an inventory of the hymns we sing and put them in categories, probably Jesus or heaven would have the most songs. But probably right close to that, right underneath that category, would probably be songs about love. And we began that when we were little children and we sang, Jesus loves me. And then that quickly moved to Jesus loves the little children. Love lifted me. Love one another. Oh, how I love Jesus. I love to tell the story. How I love the great Redeemer. He loves me so. Wonderful love of Jesus. There are a lot of hymns we sing about love. We've been doing a little series here on Sunday evenings about the trouble with love. We're going to wrap that up this evening. And what we're going to look at this evening as we go to Matthew 22... It's a section in which Jesus wants us to understand the importance of our application of love. Love seems so sweet and so innocent. But what we find is when we start applying it the way God wants us to, it can be very challenging. We realize as we've studied that biblical love as described from God is a choice. It's doing the right thing. It's not a feeling. It's not based upon what the other person has done or is going to do. It's my choice to do the right thing. And so loving the unlovable is difficult. Loving our enemies, forgiving those who have hurt us, turning the other cheek, praying for those who persecute us. Those all take us to difficult places. It's hard. And Jesus calls upon us not just to love those who love us, but to love all people. And sometimes this seems unnatural and unpopular, and it runs against every fiber that we want to think about. And so this evening, we want to turn to Matthew chapter 22 and look at one other topic where Jesus wants us to talk about these things. And this is what we call the balance with love. Matthew chapter 22 introduces us to the second and third of three trials of Jesus. First trial was back in chapter 19 when the Pharisees asked him a question about divorce. Can a person get a divorce for any reason? That was a trick question. Then when we get to Matthew 22 and verse 23, the Sadducees ask him a trick question. They come up with this hypothetical. Here's a man and this woman was married to this man and they died and they had no male children. According to the law, she had to marry her brother, his brother. She does that. No male children. There are seven brothers. She married every one of them. Every time I read that story, I think it's her cooking, you know. I mean, how is that all these men are dying before her? It just doesn't seem right. But in this hypothetical story, she dies, and they all go to heaven, and who's she going to be married to? Now, the, the Sadducees didn't even believe in heaven. They didn't believe in life after death. So this was a trick question. Then we come down to verse 34. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, interesting, isn't it? They gathered themselves together. 
You can almost see like a little football team. They're kind of huddling together. Man can't ask him that. He smoked them on that. He smoked them on that. What are we going to ask him? And one of them, verse 35, a lawyer asked him a question, testing him. This is, again, a trick question. Teacher, he says, verse 36, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, what it is interesting, they didn't ask what follows. But when we look at verse 39 and verse 40, Jesus puts a tag to this. You ask me the first or the greatest question, the greatest commandment, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what number two is, just in case you're thinking about that. The verse 39, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these, the two commandments depend of the whole law and the prophets. And that's what we're going to talk about this evening. This idea of loving our neighbor as ourself. And what Jesus meant by those things. It is interesting how he would say that on those two commandments rests the whole law. Because the greatest commandment was to love God. And when you go through those first four commandments... It's all about God. No other gods. Don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. And then when you go through the rest of the commandments, it's about our neighbor. Don't steal. Don't covet. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. That's our relationship with one another. So what Jesus is driving at is these two commandments. The commandment to love God. The commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. That is, a, that is the totality, basically, of the Ten Commandments. And what we find with this is Jesus had said these similar words before. Look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 19. And we'll just look at these real quickly. But Matthew chapter 19, Jesus would say, begin at verse 16. He says, And behold, one came to him and said, Teacher, what good things should I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. He said, Which one? Jesus said, you should not commit murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then again in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul would refer to this. Romans chapter 13, if you will. Romans chapter 13 and in verse 8 and verse 9. He says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. For, and, and there is any other commandment, it's summed up in this simply saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And again in the book of Galatians, Paul would refer to this concept of loving your neighbor as yourself. Now on the surface, this sounds very similar to the golden rule. Golden rule says, treat others like you want them to be treated. But there's a great difference between what Jesus says in the second commandment and the golden rule. The golden rule really is based upon a theory, a concept. I am to treat you like I would like to be treated. Now, no one may ever treat me that way. I would like people to treat me with respect. No one may ever respect me, but I'll treat you with respect. I wish people would listen to me. Maybe no one will ever listen to me, but I will listen to you. And so the golden rule is really based upon what I think people ought to do. Now, the second greatest commandment is based upon the way you treat him, the way you're looking at yourself. That's kind of what we want to look at this evening. 
when we talk about this balance, what we're emphasizing this evening is, before I can love my neighbor as myself, I have to know how to love myself. And if I don't have the right biblical view of self, it's going to affect how I love others. And so when I begin with myself as a starting point, love your neighbor as yourself, if my starting point isn't correct, then my end point isn't going to be correct. And so what we need to see and what we're going to talk about this evening is how is it biblically that God wants me to view myself? Now, when we think about this concept where Jesus first used this, it's found back in the book of Leviticus. If you take your Bible, let's go back there. And this is where it first comes from. Leviticus chapter 19. And begin at verse 9. And I want you to listen to the words that will read up to verse 18 where he will say, love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, beginning at verse 9, he says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of the field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Verse 12, you shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse a deaf man nor place a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor. And, and he says, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Verse 17, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in the heart. You, shall, you, you may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What did it mean back then to love your neighbor as yourself? It meant to treat him kindly. It meant to go out of your way, especially those who are in a lesser condition than you are. Those who are deaf, those who are blind, those who are poor, those, those who, who needed things. To love your neighbor was to take care of them in that setting. What's interesting, when we talk about the, the concept of self, the Bible has a lot to say about self. There's self-control. There's examine yourself. There's self-righteousness. But this evening, as we talk about this balance, that I'm to love my neighbor as myself, how does God want me to view me? And I believe there's two perspectives. One perspective is thinking too much of yourself. I keep thinking that guy's going to fall off here before we get done. But So, thinking too highly of yourself. Toby Keith had this song many years ago. It's entitled, I Want to Talk About Me. We talk about your work, how your boss is a jerk. We talk about your church and your head when it hurts. We talk about your troubles you're having with your brother, about your daddy and your mother. We talk about your friends and the places you've been. We talk about your skin and the devils on your chin. The polish on your toes and the run in your hose. We've been talking. You know talking about you makes me smile. But every once in a while, I want to talk about me. 
I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one. Oh my, oh me. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, 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 but occasionally I want to talk about me, me, me. Now that's a cute little thing. But for a lot of folks in our society today, we know the problem of too much of self. The astronomer Galileo was arrested by the Catholic Church because in his scientific discoveries, he said that the sun is the center of the universe. The earth revolves around the sun. And that was counter to the thinking then. And there's a lot of people who don't know much about science, but they would, they would agree with the Catholic Church that's not the sun in the center of the universe, it's themselves. And all they want to think about is themselves and all the troubles with that. And so when we think about loving my neighbor as myself, if I begin by thinking too much of myself, I have an improper view of self, it's going to affect how I love my neighbor. And so one of the things we see is this feeds ego and arrogance. Get your Bible. Turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 3. I want you to notice as we read this, 2 Timothy 3, we'll read the first five verses. I want you to notice how many times love is used. And it's used about five times, and every time it's incorrect. I want you to notice this. 2 Timothy chapter 3 begins verse 1. But realize this, that in last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money... Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied his power, avoid such men as these. When I have the wrong balance about self, I'm going to be thinking too much of myself. Everything's about me. Worship is about me. I don't get anything about church anymore. But what's that focused on? Not the God I'm honoring, what I get out of it. We have a conversation. I want you to hear about my family, my trials, my troubles. And when I'm done talking about myself, conversation's over. I'm going to walk on down the street. Sometimes we've got to realize that imbalance, this pride, this pride leads to one thinking that he's better than others. And this pride has to have the last word, even if that final or last word is not correct. 1986, there was two ships that collided in the Black Sea. There was a loss of life among the, that sea accident. And as they investigated, what they realized was there's two ships coming into each other from a long way off, and they, and they knew it. But neither captain would bend. And they got closer and closer and closer, and each captain said, well, the other guy's going to turn, and he didn't do it. And it got too late, and they collided, and there was a loss of life. That's what happens with pride. You will turn, not me, because I am always right. Pride thrives on double standards. You have to, but I don't. And we see that all the time. Pride never acknowledges wrong. It finds excuse. It blames others. But it will never just say, I was wrong. Pride is the opposite of our Lord. In the book of Matthew, just one of many places we could see this. 
But in Matthew chapter 11, in that section where we find that great coming to me section, he says in verse 29, Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. There's a lot of folks who have been sitting in church buildings that have never learned from Jesus. And we see sometimes the arrogance among brethren has split churches and ruined things. And then pride is a detriment to discipleship. The very first step of discipleship in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, is to deny yourself. So we, we begin by understanding, when I think about loving my neighbor as myself, I've got to have the right view of self. And so on one hand, I can think too much of self. Now again, we look at some other passages that emphasize this. Here in Romans chapter 12, and verse 3, he says, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. And then in the book of Philippians, we find, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. When a person has themselves out of balance, thinking too highly of themselves, they will not love their neighbor. Because their attention is upon themselves. I will not think about my neighbor. I will not care about my neighbor. It's all about me. And so when I am out of balance about me, I'm going to be out of balance with loving my neighbor. But now the opposite of this, and I sometimes feel like that's where our fellowship takes too many people. And that is, we think too lowly of ourselves. Low self-esteem. Not caring not thinking that you matter. And, and the very idea, we have this woe is me concept. Woe is me syndrome. I cannot do anything. I'm not needed. I'm not good as you are. No one likes me. No one invites me. No one cares for me. No one loves me. And when you hear enough of that, you just say, go home. Because here's somebody who thinks, you know, God must have made a mistake when he made you because you're nothing. And sometimes... I think that's where some of our brethren are. A lot of this is caused when we compare ourselves with others. I can't lead singing like that guy. Can't preach like that guy. Can't do what that family's doing. And we start comparing ourselves, and we get in a terrible situation with that. Now, what leads to this, and what's some problems with this, is we talk ourselves out of doing any good. Announcements are given. We have announcements at, at the end of every service. We need to send a card to sister so-and-so who's in the hospital. Well, I, it won't do any good. She won't even know who I am. You know, it, it, it just, she'll probably just throw it away. And so we talk ourselves out of doing any good. And then the second thing we do, this person has a hard time forgiving themselves. And they're latched on to all the mistakes. Barely thinking they'll ever make it to heaven because I'm such a poor, pitiful person like the story of this girl who is a senior in high school, and she's applying to some Ivy League schools. She had all the grades, she had all the test scores, and she's filling out the application. It came down to a question, are you a leader? And she stopped. She'd been in sports, and she was in choir, and she did all kinds of things, but she never was a captain. She never was a president of any organization, and she wasn't anything. She said, you know, if I check yes... What if they do some background information and find out I'm not a leader? Then I may be kept out of the school. So she 
wrote underneath there, I'm not much of a leader, I'm just a follower. Weeks passed, she got a letter from that university saying that she had been granted acceptance into that school. And the university admission office said this, says we have this year coming in 4,325 freshmen, all whom are leaders. We are glad to have at least one follower. You know? That's the concept we're talking about. And so when you think too little of yourself, about yourself, once again, you won't do much good to your neighbor because you think, I cannot do anything. I can't do anything for him. And that low self-esteem destroys the good a person can do. He's so fixated on the negative, he will not be able to help his neighbor. Now, the way to get over this is to realize you're created in the image of God. And the way to go over this is realize that Jesus died for you. And to realize to get over that is every one of us have gifts and talents and abilities. And if every single one of you could get up and preach, we'd be kind of crowded up here and be no one in the audience, would there? So some preach, some listen. Some do this, some do that. Some do this, and some do that. But we need to see the valuable thing about that. So those are the two extremes. What is the proper balance that God wants me to have? Don't think too highly of yourself because I won't help my neighbor. Don't think too lowly because I think I can't do anything for my neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, here's the first point, and that is I'm not perfect, but I can please God. And that's reality. We are a work in progress. We need to grow. But I can be a light into the world, and I can make a difference where I'm at. In Matthew 25, when we read about the five-talent and the two-talent men coming back to their master, the master said to them, Well done, good and faithful servants. They could please their master. And so we need to see that's the proper balance. Yes, there's things in my life I need to work on, just as you do. And I'm not where I want to be, just as you are not one to be. But you know what? I can do things for God. And, and you can do for things for God. And it helps us to see that proper balance. Secondly, I am lower than the angels, but I still need Jesus. Cut your Old Testament. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 8. This is repeated later in the book of Hebrews about Jesus. But here he's just talking about mankind in general. Psalms chapter 8, and let's begin verse 3. Where the psalmist tells us some things about our relationship and our position with God. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands you put all things under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, also all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When David thought about that, he just said, it's mind-boggling. I mean, when you look at the order of things in God's creation, we're just, we're just a step behind the angels. Who are we? And God has put us in charge of all this stuff. He's given us the charge. But the other side of that is we still need Jesus. We still need Jesus. We need the Lord to forgive us. We need the Lord to God's word to help 
guide us, and we need God's people to encourage us. So the proper understanding of who I am. I'm a creation of God. I'm the son of the king. I'm in the Lord's army, we could sing. But I still need Jesus. It's that balance. Don't lean too much one way. Don't lean too much the other way. Get that proper balance as God wants us to have. Number three, as we think about this. I can help you. And you can certainly help me. Romans chapter 12 is a great place that illustrates this. Here Paul is illustrating our principles, our relationships. Notice the one another words in this section here. Romans 12 begins with verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cleave to what is good, he says. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward others. Do not be haughty in your mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. What Paul's saying is we're all in this together. You need me, I need you, we need each other. And so it's this idea of balance. And that balance will help us in, to understand that together we can learn. And together we can honor the Lord and be what God wants us to be. And so when we think about this proper balance, it's important when you think about your checking account, balance that checking book, they tell you. They tell us to eat a balanced meal every day. But the proper view of self will determine whether I have a proper view of my neighbor. Love your neighbor, Jesus says, as yourself. Care for your neighbor Pray for your neighbor, serve your neighbor, do what you can for your neighbor. And your neighbor is more than the guy who lives next door. He may be your co-worker. He may be a fellow student. He may be a professor. He may be somebody in this very room. Somebody who shares this planet. That's what we need to see. The great Chicago Bear football player, Gail Sayers, wrote a book after his career. And... He titled the book, I Am Third. What he meant by that is God is number one in his life. Number two was his family. I am third. And I think when we think about this passage of Jesus, and we think about this little series, The Trouble with Love, why is it we're seeing some of the things we are in our society today? Whether it's increase of carjackings, in certain places, was increase of crime and murder, was one nation oppressing another nation. You see, when we don't have the right view of self, I'm not going to have the right view of you. And so it begins with understanding how God wants me to see myself. Now, this evening, you begin this journey by understanding who you are outside of Christ. Outside of Christ, you are lost. Outside of Christ, you're not heaven-bound. Outside of Christ, you're doomed for the most terrible thing that can ever happen. But Jesus loves you enough that he died for you. That's why all of us, every single one of us, to no exception, needs to be baptized in Jesus Christ. The smartest among us, the most common among us, the richest among us, the poorest among us. Those who are young, those who are old, every single one of us 
Because that's where it begins. I need to be in Jesus. If I've never been baptized, that's where it starts. From that, I need to see that God wants me to have the right view of me. Based on that view, I can help my fellow man. And God has put the tools in my hand to have the courage to teach, to shed the light, to do all kinds of wonderful things. But it begins by getting that proper balance as it should be. We hope this little series has been helpful for you. We hope it makes you see that when God tells us to love, we have to do that. But sometimes it's tough. Sometimes we don't feel like it. And sometimes it challenges us. But we need to do it because God wants us to do it. And I think that the supreme example of loving your enemy, loving your neighbor as yourself, is our Lord upon the cross. When he looked down, the very people who put the nails in his hand and said, Father, forgive them. That is true love as God wants us to have. We can help you in any way. Why don't you come as we stand, as we sing.